Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, nihao, mahaben, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories 2021. Yep, we're back. I'm your host, Betsy Olam, and this is our first podcast of the year. So thank you for joining us and listening. Um, Things are really looking up. Spring is here. I've had my second dose of the vaccine. I'm, I'm feeling very optimistic. I hope you can get yours soon. So today I'm honored to have as our guest, Leslie Alexander, Executive Director of the Tennessee International Trade Center at the Tennessee Small Business Development Center. There is no one more qualified to talk about what states can do for exporters. Um, We've talked a lot about federal services and the Department of Commerce, but individual states often play an important role, you know, in supporting exports. But first of all, we are all about storytelling here, and there is another story I want to tell you about. It's the story about how one company can help you solve your commercial real estate needs, whether in town, across the nation, or over the oceans. That company is Levy Commercial Realty, LLC. They provide strategic commercial real estate advisory and brokerage services. I'm talking about retail. I'm talking about restaurant, entertainment, and distribution. Levy's clients include local legends, regional brands, and Fortune 50 companies known around the world. You're going to want to join Levy's select group of clients. Their email is contact at levycommercial.com. That's Levy, L-E-V-Y, commercial.com, and I'll post it on our website. Now back to the show. We are very lucky to have with us today from Nashville, Tennessee, Leslie Alexander. Hi, Leslie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Betsy. Thanks so much for having me here today. I really appreciate it. And I really enjoy these podcasts. I, um, I find them informative and, you know, these days it keeps us in the know. So thank you so much for putting these together. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, It's great having you. So we're going to talk about trade assistance and the state of Tennessee. But first, I want to introduce you and talk a little bit about your background. Uh, I believe that most of our listeners are familiar with your family, your dad, uh, former senator and former governor of the state of Tennessee is Lamar Alexander. So I just want to put that out there. But let's talk about you. Uh, I like to start with your college education and then move forward from there. So you want to tell us about where you got your degrees and and kind of how you began your career? Sure thing, sure thing. Um, and thank you for the full disclosure there, because sometimes I go under the radar. But I think in this instance, it, it makes sense because we are here in Tennessee. So um, I appreciate that. So um, I grew up in Tennessee and went out to Colorado for my undergrad and then stayed for almost 20 years. I loved it. Um, And that's where I first got my intro to international business. 
I am an English major. Um, so, you know, we sort of set out to do just about anything and started working by managing a group called ICOM, the International Advertising Agency Association, which has members in more than, I think, 100 countries now. Um, and we would help small entrepreneur businesses get started by allowing them to team together to go after multinational accounts. And so from there, I moved back to Tennessee and um, went to Duke University um, and got a master's in environmental management, which is like an MBA with a little bit more of a sustainability focus. And they've been doing those for over 20 years. And that allowed me to really expand my horizons, but also look more at what's, what's it like on the ground. And so I had a small consulting firm that worked with regional and community economic development. And doing that, I got to know the businesses here in Tennessee. Um, and then during the Haslam administration, I came on board to run the Tennessee Trade Program, which is what we're here to talk about today. So Tennessee Trade has morphed into the Tennessee International Trade Center. And at the end of the Haslam administration, we moved it over to Tennessee State University, which really made a lot of sense because we are funded by the Small Business Administration and private donors and um, have the endorsement from Governor Bill Lee as the state trade representative. So the, the program really um, made a lot of sense because it, it, it morphed with my background in international trade with ICOM and advertising and marketing, um, but then also with my, my desire to help these small businesses be successful. So as the state trade representative, uh, from what you said, you're mostly working with the state uh, companies within state, but are you also coordinating with any foreign offices or, or you know, international entities? Yes, so they, these um, programs are all over the country. And so we are, we come together a couple times a year and I'm on the board of the State International Development Organization. And they have sponsors, members who are just those sort of entities, those foreign offices that can provide, you know, a trusted advisor for our companies looking to get into new markets or looking to just get started. So again, we, we do very similar things to what people may know of as the Department of Commerce, but these directors and executive directors of these programs, which can be standalone entities like in Kansas, or fully engaged entities like in um, Georgia, where they have a robust team of, of advisors, they all have different ways of going about it. But CIDO, the State International Development Organization, brings together these companies with these state directors for the support and advice and guidance that they need. So CIDO, is, a, is that a US government Entity, I'm just I'm trying to understand who each organization is. Who? Yeah, yeah. So CIDO is the State International Development Organization, and it provides a platform for sharing best practices from state to state, and also is the advocate for our state trade expansion program, which is a small business administration funded opportunity for reimbursement to small businesses. Um, who engage in export activity. So most of these 
state level organizations, um, again, like I said, either at the state Department of Commerce, Economic Community Development, um, or an independent nonprofit, uh, they provide things like counseling, business planning, market research, financing and fund development, trade show identification, and now COVID adaptation as we're looking mm -hmm. at more virtual trade shows. CIDO is managed by an individual who came from the Council of State Governments and the National Governors Association. And they have been supporting CIDO over the years. And CIDO really is the voice of the state agencies to the federal government and the Small Business Administration. So Congress has to approve the state trade expansion program every year to the tune of about $20 million. And those monies go through the state and then go to the businesses who qualify for those um, export reimbursements. Okay. So I understand. Uh, so I guess you could say CIDO helps organize, like you said, it's a platform to, to, to organize these programs and to coordinate and, and uh, communicate between states, best, best practices. As you yes. Said. Okay. Yes, so CIDO will vet, um, as we talked about foreign offices, will vet these contractors in other countries and then recommend them. They also have a LinkedIn page, which is only for members. Um, and it's a very low level of membership that each state pays. And so there can only be one primary member from each state. And um, they have a database. Uh, they, they, like I said, do the lobbying. They just do really good export promotion opportunities for the states. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm sure a lot of people weren't aware of how this works. I wasn't. So thank you for that explanation. Sure. So now, so now let's talk about Tennessee and the ITC and its work with the SBA. Uh, we're we're going to use Tennessee as an example for other states too. But every I, I understand every state does things in their own unique way. So we're going to talk about Tennessee, but I think it'll give listeners from everywhere an idea of what the capabilities are. Certainly, certainly. So as I, I mentioned, other we all do it differently. Um, and that's because we respond directly to the needs of our, our constituents, even though we're not elected, but we'll talk about you know the people and businesses of the state. And the Tennessee International Trade Center is one of many international trade centers at our Tennessee and other states small business development centers. We just happen to be the only one in the country who is the state trade representative. So that's that's a nice, unique position to hold. It also allows us more direct um, connection to the Small Business Administration Office of International Trade. And as such, our focus is really on the diverse business enterprises because that is who the Small Business Development Center is tasked to assist. So looking at rural, looking at minority, women-owned, veteran, disabled, we really do have a strong focus on helping these businesses succeed in, in, in this economy. Mm -hmm. um, the SBA, as I said, is our parent company. There are 14 offices of the TSBDC, the Small Business Development Centers here in Tennessee. Some of them are one person, some of them have five. Um, the lead center is based at Middle Tennessee State University, and they're the ones who connect directly to the SBA for all the activities, including the federal funding opportunity, which is let every year. So we 
focus in on these certain regions, but what's nice about the role I play is I work statewide. So most of the practitioners and counselors at the offices have received a certified global business practitioner. Mm -hmm. And that is led by the America Small Business Development Center. So there is, as we like to talk about it, a cookie cutter approach across the state of Tennessee. We don't, we don't feel that any part of it should be different than the others so that everybody gets as much assistance as we can provide. Okay. Um, we call it the McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, let, let me just say, ask you something real quick. So, because you've, how long have you been in this position, basically? How many years? Uh, uh, almost eight years. So you've seen a change from two different administrations. Uh, did you start in the Obama administration or? Um, yes, and that was okay. an Obama initiative that started the state trade expansion program. And okay. a little side note, which is pretty funny, my youngest brother, actually got the first state trade expansion program grant from the Small Business Administration when he was working with the Haslam administration. So oh. there's a little bit of a, a legacy there, but I think it shows how much of, of a commitment we have to helping our small businesses. I think I've met him before through some organization or another. Um, so um, I guess my question is through different or through different administrations, does this does what you do really change that much or or can it be uh, a dramatic change between federal governments so like the growth of any good program um and i'll use the state trade expansion program as a marker for this because it's it tracks what the states do in a very diligent manner and the goal is really to have more jobs and more exports. And so let's do that economic and that return on investment. Um, the changes we've seen have really been more of an evolution and an adaptation. We're lucky to have SIDO in DC to lobby Congress, um, but then also the Small Business Administration is very interested in learning from the states what works. So we have monthly calls with the director of the Small Business Administration STEP program, who used to be a recipient in New Jersey. So he has gone over to the SBA, the Small Business Administration. Yeah. Um, and there has been some movement, but I think because it's a congressional designation that gets appropriated every year, mm. we have we have some, some good opportunities. Um, we're not targeted, we're not big enough to really be at the mercy of the administration. Um, mm -hmm. And so we weathered the Trump administration just fine. And I believe from Obama to Trump to Biden, we'll be able to continue doing the work we do. And on that note, with the diversity in the Biden administration, I do believe that they will see these programs as extremely valuable, um, yeah. especially during this economic recovery. I mean, it's all, what you're all about is growing uh, export business from the state of Tennessee, which creates jobs and and uh, brings in revenue to the state. So I can't imagine anybody not supporting it, but that's just my personal opinion. So, <laughs> but uh, that's that's good to know that uh, hopefully it'll, things will just evolve and grow uh, because it's good work that y'all are doing. Absolutely. So um, maybe... Um, now you could talk a little bit about more specifically how you help companies 
uh, you know, the services you provide and kind of how that works. Yeah, great, great. We, um, we obviously have a website, which is with the Small Business Development Center at tsbdc.org. So we, you know, ask companies to go to that website and take our export readiness test. And that really just gives us a snapshot of where they are. Um, it is not uncommon for us to receive requests from someone who is making pizzas out of their home oven and kitchen and selling them to people in their neighborhood, ask about exporting. And again, it's great to be at the SBDC because they have counselors who can help that individual grow their business, scale up, find the financing, get the business plan put together, go to the bank. And so we do that on an international scale um, through the, the Tennessee International Trade Center. So when a company submits their quiz, we review that and then reach back out to them and identify what they need. Do they need to figure out how to get financing from Export Import Bank? Do they need to develop a business plan? Are they buying a company that's already exporting and they need the financing to do that deal? Um, are they looking for trade shows? So we do market strategy and, and reports on different markets, identifying everything from the cultural influences in an area to the tariffs and, 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 and export compliance issues. So we, we're not expert, let me say, export experts per se, but we, we do know how to facilitate this and show people the right person on the federal level to work on it. So as we all know, the states don't make these decisions. It's the federal government who impose tariffs or change custom and border patrol policies or any other number of things that impact the day-to-day -day economy. But um, you know, we, we do like to share information with these companies and let them know what the opportunities are. And I think opening those doors is the best way that we've been able to help companies. We, we don't close any doors. We, we keep them open and, and that little bit of assistance can really go a long way for a company. Sure. What if they're, you know, like you said, the pizza company, what if there are very young as far as they've never exported before and they need to even understand what exporting entails? Uh, what you do for that kind of company, a really new, of course, I help those kind of companies too, <laughs> but that's through my private business. But uh, how do you help a, just a nascent exporting startup company? Sure, sure. I think a great example are some of our tech, fintech or um, medtech companies that we help. Um, mm -hmm. We don't, we don't uh, have specific industries that we specifically target, but obviously automotive, medical device, med tech, fintech now, um, our rural um, agricultural businesses are mm -hmm. all, all of that. You know, it's a, a kitchen soup of companies if you were to look at it from across the state. Mm -hmm. um, if you're new to export and, you know, some of these folks may have already gone off after a tender somewhere, mm -hmm. but they still need the advice. Um, a tender is a, a foreign offer for working with the foreign government. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So we have one company here who's very interested in going into the UK and they have a telemedicine platform that they want to promote. And so we will advise them, check out the, the ecosystem in the UK for telemedicine, see what the compliance issues might be, mm -hmm. and then typically come back around and say, hey, 
that healthcare system is completely different than what we do here in the United States. Let's look at someone a little closer, you know, like NAFTA or, you know, Canada, even though it's similar to the UK healthcare system, it's closer, a little more friendly, easier to put your toe in the water, right? Rather right. than going, going full hog and going over to the UK. Um, and the UK, as we know, has been going through Brexit. So in addition to wanting to be a participant in, in that, it is a lot of vulnerability that that company could be positioning themselves to incur. So we really look out at the bottom line and the easiest, most successful avenue for these companies. And, you know, I have to say a lot of times we'll say you guys don't have the commitment from leadership. The C-suite doesn't buy in. You think you want to do this, but it's not the right time. Right. Um, or they'll ask, you know, we, we sell to universities all over the world, another company, but now we've got this product that we think might be, be verging on, you know, it's a magnet. And maybe there's rules in, in South Korea that we're not aware of. So we'll put them in touch with the right people there. So even the most seasoned, Betsy, as you know, company yeah. can, can get into a world of hurt if they don't do the right thing from the get-go. Right, um, right. Home, homework, doing your homework is so important yes. in international trade. I mean, you know, there's so many resources available, but you still have to be aware and you have to understand that it takes time and you mm -hmm. have to take all the careful steps so you don't make an expensive mistake. I think that's what you're saying. Yes, yes. And in addition, you know, a lot of these first time exporters will say, well, I've been sending my bikes over to um, to the UK, using that as another example, because it's English as a first language. There's similarities, familiarities. Tennessee has a great relationship with the United Kingdom. Um, and we'll say, well, how are you doing that? Well, I just box it up and send it FedEx. You know, so it's the scaling up piece that we also help with is, is having people really project the future. What is your three to five year plan? When, what markets do you really want to go into? Let's, let's start doing our homework, like you said, and yeah. making sure that we, you know, dot the I's and cross the T's and do everything legally, um, which, you know, can be tough too. With another example is CBD. Um, people are wanting to export that and there's places in Europe that want to import CBD from Tennessee. Is so, there, are there CBD companies in, in Tennessee? I, I wasn't yeah. aware. There's, there's quite a few because the Department of Agriculture, they did a promotion four years ago, three years ago, um, that provided a lot of support for small agricultural um, enterprises. And so the big, the big ones came in and we have several plants that are going, literally plants, um, yeah. <laughs> industry, industrial plants that are working in that direction. So there has been some venture capital put into it in Tennessee, though still questionable about the exporting of it. Yeah, I've, I, was, I always had thought, and I'm not uh, very familiar with the industry, but Tennessee has a long history of tobacco, you know, mm -hmm. raising and, and selling. So I always thought, well, there's probably, you know, a potential for, for you know the uh, the plant the plant that produces the CBD oil here, so I just was curious about that. Yeah, uh, but I'm sure it's complicated, especially markets like Europe, etc. It's 
It is. And so again, we always fall back on our federal partners for guidance um, and send them to Department of Commerce, for example, and ask for their guidance because they have, you know, a huge industry um, for helping, I should say, the the businesses in, in, in the country to export with the support of our embassies and people on the ground. Um, And I would also like to mention that the Department of Agriculture, Tennessee's Department of Agriculture, has an international marketing arm. And they work through our Southeast United States Trade Development Administration. And they have another cost share program that companies can be eligible for. So I encourage our agricultural producers be it craft beers and whiskey, all the way to beans, right? Yeah. Uh, and 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 sticks, timber, as we call it, to CBD. You know, check in with the the Tennessee Department of Agriculture because they are our supporting arm for anything ag. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so now let's talk about something, a program that I'm excited to hear more about, and that's the STEP program. Uh, Tell us about that and if it's uh, relative to other states as well. I mean, do other states have a similar program? Is this a particular program that's unique to Tennessee? Tell us about what it is and and how that works. The State Trade Expansion Program, um, also known as the STEP program, and we'll refer to it as the STEP program as we talk, is supported by the Small Business Administration. Tennessee was in the first round of recipients 10 years ago and had it for two years. And there were some growing pains um, with all the states, with all of the um, directors, and Tennessee dropped out of it because it was just too hard to manage. Uh, Fast forward five years. The Small Business Administration has made a lot of changes to the program. They have evolved and now grant from $50,000 to $2 million annually to states who apply during the federal funding opportunity. So just about every state in the nation has step funds available for small businesses for eligible activities. And so the states can, they can all choose to what activities they are going to sponsor. Here in Tennessee, we do marketing, um, we do shipping, we do hiring a consultant in a foreign country to help you vet your product and do some market research strategy, and also Department of Commerce services, as well as Department of Agriculture services. So we have to be careful mixing federal funds. So during the Haslam administration, I can clarify, um, we did have state support um, from the Department of Economic and Community Development. And as most agencies have had to cut some of their funding, um, we offered to step down from being funded. And um, Tennessee State University took over at the end of the Haslam administration. And so now we are the designee for the state funding, but now we are private-public partnerships where we receive sponsorships from corporations and individuals to keep the program going. The STEP program requires a three-to-one match, which means, for example, for the $300,000 that we receive from the Small Business Administration, we have to match that with $100,000 of in-kind or um, actual money. So we do that through the International Trade Center um, and sponsorships from individuals and corporations. I see, I see. I, I, I 
that makes it much, that makes it very clear now. Thank you. Yes. Um, so uh, for example, if a company, let's just use an example. Uh, one of the Tennessee companies wants assistance to uh, attend a foreign trade show uh, could they apply for a step grant? Absolutely, absolutely. So the, the grants are up to $10,000 a year per company, and there are certain thresholds for those grants. And so you can do 4,000 in shipping. You can do almost 10,000 to a trade show booth. Um, the one thing we really do not fund is travel and um, meals and entertainment. So we wouldn't pay for your airfare. We wouldn't pay for your hotel room. We wouldn't pay for you to take those clients out and entertain them. Um, <laughs> and we require that the companies have skin in the game. So they have to pay to play. So they have to put in the money first and then we review it and reimburse it. Reimburse. And they also have to have that long-term plan. We don't like little bitty, hey, can we get a reimbursement for 250? We wanna see a continuous effort to grow the business um, and expand into other areas. Oh, that's good. But, you know, there are significant upfront costs uh, for participating in a trade show, such as shipping over the booth materials, the actual, you know, physical things in the booth that you, that are unique to your company um, and, uh, and, and the cost to participate in the trade show. So that's, I think it's an excellent program. We actually, uh, I actually utilized the STEP program back with the first STEP program that you were talking about to go attend a trade show in South Africa. And it was very effective. So I can speak from experience about that. So, you know, it's been a crazy year uh, with COVID. And I thought maybe you could talk a little bit about how you have been working with companies and helping them through, you know, COVID. Absolutely. So as with everybody, we adapted when, when COVID hit a year ago, um, or really the pandemic had spread over a year ago. We now know, right, that it was in 2019, late 2019, that the first cases were starting. And we were at... <laughs> We were at our CIDO annual conference in Washington, D.C. in mid-February, and a lot of companies were over at the Singapore Air Show, for example. Oh, boy. And going around with all the state directors was, when do I pull my people back? You know, what is this thing that's happening? And so it really impacted our activity severely um, as a state trade director, um, all of them. And so after a little bit of downtime, while everybody sort of said, what is going on here? We started developing more virtual platforms like everyone else was. So it wasn't just the conversations over Zoom or a, a meeting with the team over Zoom. It was really saying, how can we utilize this technology to create new trade events? And so knowing that no one was gonna go to a trade show anytime in the near future, um, a lot of, of, of states started developing these online platforms for people to go to the Middle East and get the, the business to business conversation started up again. Um, we were supposed to go to London Tech Week with the Greater Nashville Technology Council and a handful of companies, which to everybody's information, a handful of companies on a trade show and a trade mission is a really good number of companies. <laughs> 
Um, and, uh, you know, it was going to be a really good show. We hadn't been to London Tech Week before. It's an enormous opportunity. Uh, one of our companies was a kiosk inside of prisons, a kiosk inside of prisons. And they were going to expand into the UK. Another one was a med tech company looking to expand into the UK healthcare system, akin to what HCA has done. Mm-hmm. So we had a great opportunity and we had a trade show booth on the floor in the innovators gallery. And, you know, by April, we knew that this was a no-go and um, the UK had surged after surge and they allowed us to put the money aside and they forgave the debt that we owed them um, in return for us saying, we will come back when we can. Oh, and good. So- that's been one way of dealing with it. Um, the STEP program also has been helpful in offsetting some of those vulnerabilities for companies. They really adapted the program and actually extended the years. And so we just received notice that STEP 9 has been extended another year. So these awards are, that's allowing us to have more time to give companies a reimbursement. Another thing that the pandemic caused to happen, and we're, we, we're almost out of money on this one, but the Step 7 award, which was supposed to wrap up last September, had been extended another year in the future, as well as all the way back to the beginning of that award in September of 2018. So we've been able to incentivize companies even more so by reimbursing activity that they did prior to the pandemic. And so that then gives them the money to move forward. So the Small Business Administration, all the state departments, um, down to the companies have had to really pivot, as you know, Betsy, yeah. um, during these last 12 months. Yeah, and, and I'm gonna ask this question. I'm not sure any of us really know the answer, but do you think that some of these virtual platforms and technologies are gonna stay around and, because they've proved to be very cost effective. So after COVID is over and yes, we can still travel, do you think companies will still use some of these uh, virtual platforms and services going forward? Absolutely. You know, it was really a trend in the making and this just pushed us, it it jump-started us to go faster and more forward. For example, we would always, if we're going to Arab Health in the UAE and Dubai, or if we're going to Amsterdam for the Marine Equipment Trade Show, we would talk with our companies, do an interview of them, get their expectations figured out, and then start talking with the foreign um, departments over at the embassy and other consultants to find and set up B2B meetings in advance of the show. And so I use um, Arab Health as a great example. That community they will come to the table and have that 30-minute B2B face-to-face with you. They've already made up their mind that they want to do business with you. Whereas in other markets, they're going to be a little more shy um, Mm -hmm. and slower to come to the table. So we were already doing these virtual business-to-business trade shows. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's missing being their boots on the ground. But I think the efficiencies, as you said, and the cost savings are just so much more than we ever would have realized. So people still want to hold that product. They still want to see it and talk with you. Um, But, you know, Japan is having its first hybrid show this summer. Um, Arab Health is having a hybrid show this summer. So the all virtual has been okay, but we've also seen our 
um, ex exhibition companies come on board with these virtual platforms. So yeah. everybody needs to make money. I mean, that's all, you know, that, that's and trade and commerce have to continue. And so the adaptations have been pretty fabulous. The um, some of the exhibition companies actually create a trade show virtually yeah. and booth that you go to and you talk with people. And so you have your room you go into. So it's like playing a video game. Um, Absolutely. I, um, I can, as an example, I, I am, uh, I've participated many times in film festivals, just as mm -hmm. an attendee, I love film festivals. And Sundance, for example, this year, they had, um, sub, they had satellite cities show some Sundance films, and they got so many more people to participate. And it's same kind of thing as a trade show. I think, I think it's a way to expand participation and, and people are gonna to wanna to go physically. And, and as you say, I mean, trade, international trade is a very personal business, but mm -hmm. also this can save some costs and expand market, you know, help companies expand into new markets by at least making those initial contacts. So I personally, I think it's very exciting. And uh, I, I agree. I think people will be taking advantage of, you know, these new technologies for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one thing I also want to um, mention with the adaptation that we've been doing with COVID is I was really tasked midsummer by the Small Business Development Center to do outreach to rural companies um, and more of a broadband initiative. And so, mm -hmm. again, facilitating the USDA Reconnect Initiative and other um, broadband access concerns. And, and for me, that's been fascinating to um, not only have that, you know, added outreach to the rural communities, but also discovering all of these various from the FCC to the USDA to um, our SBIR, um, Innovative Research Grants that are out there, how much of them are really focusing on accessibility. And that's been, I think, the biggest challenge other than just the horror of the pandemic is having our children get educated in a, in a fashion that makes sense and learning that, that that's not great, but then also seeing these huge gaps, yeah. not only in rural areas, also in the urban areas. But right. there are some FCC grants and um, folks listen or link into me, if you will, because I'll be posting about these yeah. that will allow households 50 to $100 off of their monthly broadband costs. And so they're really trying to get the money not only into the hands of Comcast and Spectrum and the bigger ones, but the Ben Lomans of this of this community. And um, they provide more broadband for rural Tennessee, Ben Loman does, than any other, other company. So oh. we've been working really diligently on, on identifying some of those gaps and reaching out to those companies and seeing what they need and, and providing some different micro grants to them. Um, because that's not really part of the step program. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, there's certainly talk now of of a new infrastructure legislation. I don't know where that's going, but I, I don't think anybody can argue that we need to, as a country, invest in in updating infrastructure and making sure we have internet access everywhere, mm -hmm. urban and rural. So. Uh, I'm sure you learned a lot from from the work that you did, uh, uh, you know, investigating, you know, what's available 
Yeah, it, it makes me think of the Civilian Conservation Corps and how we could really pull out of, um, I don't dare say a depression, it hasn't been announced yet, but this recession and, and have a stronger economic recovery if we did employ something like the Civilian Conservation Corps for, for broadband. And so, you know, these young kids love to climb, rock climb, right? You know, they can climb up a tower and hang it up. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, no, that's just, a, that's a, one of a many great ideas. And uh, um, so it's, it's really interesting uh, to talk about that. Would you like to um, maybe share a couple of stories about, you know, some of, you've, you've talked about some particular types of industries that you've worked with, but would you like to share a couple of stories of some of the companies you've worked with and, and or, or the type of businesses and how uh, they've worked with your organization to grow their exports? Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Betsy. Um, there's one lumber company that we've worked with in the past, and they came to us for some assistance um, during the pandemic. And we had just learned that we could do these retroactive awards. And they had a show over to Asia that they were able to apply for a $6,600 reimbursement grant. And the return on investment from that was $2.5 million. So... Yeah. We took less than ten thousand dollars and got an ROI of, you know, thousands of percent. So that's that's an example of a seasoned um, exporter who was impacted by the U U.S. Um, Mexico Canada agreement, and they were having trouble getting their logs across the borders. So when we have those policy issues, you see that trickling down to a hundred-year-old company, and how that can impact them that little bit of money allowed them to reinvest into their future. And so that's, that's a great example of incentivizing. What so they, they were, they needed to find new markets because of the issues with the uh, trade agreement with Mexico and Canada. Is that what was happening? That that's one, that's one example. Yes. Yes. So they, they had to find new markets, but it also, they were spending a lot more money trying to understand the USMCA um, yeah. free trade agreement. And so when, when the federal level changes, the impact it has on companies is astounding. Um, we've done some lobbying through our district export council mm -hmm. up in, on the Hill um, for the China tariffs and how that impacted oh, metal. Yeah. So yeah, that was had, dramatic. <laughs> that was dramatic. That was dramatic. From a personal yeah. level, we were putting up a fence and the price went up 30% in the four weeks we got bids. So we went with the first guy. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. What is happening? Do you know what's happening with these China trade, uh, the tariffs and things changed yet? Is there talk of? There, uh, what I see is there's talk and that's another great example of a question where I say, I'm not the expert, but yeah. I can find them. I know who they are at the yeah. University of Tennessee, Knoxville, or University of Memphis, or you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I was just you know, picking your brain to see what you knew, but I, yeah. think, I think it's it's maybe too soon to, to really know exactly where that's going. It takes time. It takes time, and and the impact on on businesses has been has been severe. I mean, to talk out of Tennessee, the heartland has been impacted. I think the most. Absolutely. And so that's China Heartland, which serves the Mid South, 
um, in the Chinese um, conversation is, is another great resource for those sort of questions. They've got policy advisors on board and, and they're quite the think tank for those sort of concerns. Absolutely. So lumber company was one uh, example and uh, you have any other stories you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I, I have one that's uh, kind of near and dear to my heart and it's a, a PR firm in Nashville. Um, called Aristo Media, and they decided, the founder who passed away right after he started this initiative, to do a program called Nashville Meets London, which is really Tennessee meets the UK, because they bring artists from Nashville over to Canary Wharf in London, and they put on a free concert for two days and bring in, um, and they bring in acts from around the UK. And so it is a, dare I say, sold out, it is packed. And so we've been able to sponsor a couple of those um, musicians and artists to go over to that show in the past. And so looking forward, we really hope that that gets started again. Um, But it was a great, you know, when you're in trade and it is so personal, Betsy, like you said, it is the diplomacy piece that really intrigues me the most and getting involved with other cultures and communities. And a lot of people wonder, what are you doing? And it's like, wow, you know, we're changing the world in so many ways, even if it's just the slightest. Absolutely. Uh, Actually, I had a guest uh, in 2019. It's a, a Memphis organization that that uh, introduces uh, Memphis artists, music artists to uh, various countries and, and they try to share, I have some cultural exchanges, very similar. And it's really exciting uh, because we have so much art talent in the state of Tennessee and it really is an export. People don't necessarily think of culture as an export, but it is, it can be a very powerful export to, you know, bringing countries together. So, yes, yeah. it, it really can. And, and you know, as I mentioned, we worked with the Greater T- Nashville Technology Council, Nashville Meets London. Um, you know, we work with all of these, we call them multipliers, but it's uh, the, the minority business chambers of commerce, right? That are, mm-hmm. are so great to work with too. Absolutely. Well, Leslie, um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate your joining us today. This was a fascinating discussion, and I'm so glad that my listeners can learn about what you're doing, and it's really important work. So thank you for joining us today. Uh, This was great. This was great. So, and to our listeners, we'd love to get a conversation going about this episode, as well as general discussions about exporting. So, you know, please reach out to me on exportstoriespodcast.com. I'm going to be uh, posting, when I post this episode, I'm going to have uh, the website link for Leslie's organization. And so you'll be able to contact her and uh, maybe some information about them. So that'll be on the episode page as well. Uh, We're also on Facebook and Twitter. So anyway, we are creating a community of exporters here. So please reach out and chat. Thanks again, Leslie, and to all of our listeners. 
Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 